I'm sick and tired of living in this small house. You need to make more money so we can get a decent place to live. I'll sneak out and meet you around midnight. My parents are clueless and they'll never know. As long as you live under this roof, you'll do what I say. I don't care what you say. You can't stop me from going to the party. I saw you checking her out. I was just looking at the brand of her jeans. I thought they might look good on you. All right. Who's going to pray this time? Me. Dear Jesus, thank you for all the ways you blessed our family. Welcome to you today. We're starting something new. This is the first installment of our four-week series called Bless This Home. And we're going to look at trying to build stuff into our home. Um, so just to get us started, I just want to know if we're on the same page here. How many people would, would love to have their home and their families be blessed? Raise your hand up. How, how many people would like that? Now, I don't normally ask people to raise up their hands because I know what just happened because there are some of you who didn't raise your hands up, all right? So some of you obviously don't want your family or your home blessed. And later on, we'll be handling all family and house cursing. We're not going to do that today. But you didn't put your hand up, so that's what's coming for you. No, nobody wants to not have blessing, right? That's what we want. We would all love to see our homes and our families be blessed, regardless of what family situation or what home situation is in right now. We might even hope for this for the people who live next to us, people that we care about. We want their families and their lives to be blessed. But when we look around, in general, the first word that comes to your mind to describe families is not blessed, right? When we look at families today, rather that we would say, instead of, man, it looks like they're really blessed, we would be more likely to say, wow, it looks like they're really struggling. And we, we, we don't look at that in, in a judgment kind of sense. It's just an identification that there is a need. We know that maybe in our house or may, maybe in the houses around us, we know that people are, they're struggling. Their marriage it's just not what it could be. Or they're finding out that raising kids is a lot more difficult than they thought. And they thought that raising their kids ended at a certain age. And they're learning that it just keeps going on. Even as the kids get older, we're not disconnected from them. We're learning that a lot of our friends, our neighbors, financially, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're, they're just surviving. They're not thriving. And admittedly, there's a lot more temptations today perhaps than there were in the past. There's new challenges. And an increasing one that we see around us more and more is blended families. And blended families can be a wonderful blessing. But, but then you find out also that you're raising your kids and you're raising her kids and you're raising our kids and then you're managing both exes at the same time and that's complicated. That takes an extra load. It puts an extra load on you. Now we're also in a place where there's a record number of single parents. And that can be so difficult, trying to support a family on one income, trying to be the only one who's got to carry all the load, all the discipline, all the raising of the kids. And that can be overwhelming at times. This is the world that we live in. These are the families that are around us, and maybe these are our families as well. There was a time that Jesus was teaching, and he was just blowing the minds of the people that he spoke about when he was speaking to them about the beauty of God and, and about um, a super graceful way of being that just seemed foreign. 
And he, what he was calling people to was really hard. But there was something about it that was so compelling. And what he was teaching was cutting through so many of the requirements of the religious systems that they would have known. He was teaching to get the heart to live differently. Not just trying to appear different on the surface, but to be different from the inside out. And we're going to listen in on Jesus. And we have this, you know, basically a recording from one of his good friends whose name is Matthew. Matthew was a former tax collector and a generally despised human being. Um, people didn't like him in that time. The job that he had was uh, horrible and they didn't like it. And so what he's telling us about is this way of living and being stuff that we're going to try to apply into our lives and into the micro communities of our homes. The section that we're going to look at is called Matthew and it's broken down into chapters. So chapter five is where we're going to go. And Matthew chapter five is a famous passage or section that's called the Beatitudes. Now, some of you might say, and you're quite right, you'd say, but I'm a student, or I'm single, or I, I had kids, but they're now gone, so does this really apply? I don't, I don't have a family, or I don't have a family yet. And honestly, this, this is some of the best time to prepare. If you don't have to be in the middle of this to prepare your heart for the future, this is a wonderful time to get things set right instead of having to back up and reset to get this set at the very beginning. I wish I'd had the opportunity to hear some of these things years ago when I was trying to get set up as well. So I think that what we're going to do is still going to speak to everyone, although we're going to use language like family. So don't try and cut yourself out of that because you're still part of families. Uh, let me tell you what we're going to go through in this series. So we're going to start today, but next week we're going to look at the teaching again of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Most of our hearts, um, most of our homes sorry, would not be described or characterized by the word pure. And honestly, it'd be more likely that we could describe our house as impurity. The sins, the temptations, the struggles that we go through, that we bring into our homes, how is it possible that we can be a people who are pure in heart? Week three, uh, we're going to look at when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's a great idea, but quite often we're surrounded by the people who are the peace takers, right? Don't elbow anyone sitting next to you when you say that, though. But it's just the reality that we're around so many people who are more skilled at taking peace than they are at bringing peace. How can we be peacemakers in that? And the fourth, fourth week, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at what it means to be a Christ-centered family even when or because of being Christ-centered, people make fun of us or make decisions about us based on what we have claimed. And we're going to not be worried about being persecuted. We're actually going to start to be thinking about the cause for concern is that we're not persecuted because maybe we just blend in far too much. We're just too much just like everyone else and there's no reason to see us as different. Bless this home. That's what we're going to be doing. That's what's coming in the next couple of weeks. So like always, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of my life. I'm going to share some things that have been in my family. Some of the stuff works, some of the stuff doesn't. Some of it's going to be just my sharing my horrible failures, and some of it's going to be us learning together. But I want to reinforce what I'm sure that you already know. Um, our family is so far 
from perfect, okay? I don't want there to be any misconception there. And it's always funny to me when I get around someone who's sort of a, like a church watcher. They, they, they watch church people and they're, they're somewhere and, and, and something happens and our family is exposed as being fully human, all right? And something goes wrong and they say, oh, I'm so thankful that your family's not perfect. Perfect. Like, I don't even know what a perfect family would be because quite often that makes me feel like it would just be like I'm getting everything that I want, but I, I can't imagine that that's actually what perfection would look like. So um, we're not perfect. So there's your confession up front. When I, when I talk about things, <laughs> she knows we're not perfect. Thanks, mom. Uh, <laughs> when we talk about this stuff, it, it's not from like a, a, you should because we're already done. It's, hey, how are we going to go on this road trip together? How are we going to learn together. So we're in process just like you are. And when my kids are misbehaving, I don't just suddenly break into a hymn and they all stop their naughtiness, get down on their knees, and break into perfect three-part harmony. That's not the way it works. We're just like you. We're learning at the same time. But there's something about this that is intriguing, right? Because family stories are fun. We can relate to so many of them because kids say funny things. And for all the adults out here, all the parents, you also have this growing sense of nervousness because while they say funny things, kids tend to expose us just a little bit more than we'd like to be exposed publicly all the time. And so my sister-in-law, she's got two 20-something kids right now, but back when they were small, we had some fun hearing about the stories from them. And one day, the teacher asked the little boy, she said, um, what's your mummy's name. What's your mother's name? And he says, mummy. <laughs> and she goes, okay, that's right. You're telling the truth. Thank you for that. That's wonderful. But um, what does your daddy call your mummy? And you just know already that this is going into that memorable file box kind of place that you're going to pull this story back up. So she says, what does your daddy call mummy? Sexy. <laughs> and it's accurate. That's what daddy did call mommy. He was telling the truth. And somehow there was probably still another answer that that teacher was looking for. John 17, 23 is a verse that's pretty important to us. It guides us where we're going. And it reminds us that God, by his grace, is ensuring that we are all being perfected into one. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. All right? We're going to be in the Beatitudes. We're going to jump down to verse 6 to get started. It's the first beatitude that we're going to look at. Jesus is here. He's teaching a group of people who have gathered. They just want to hear from him. And this is one of his highlight reel kind of sermons. And the evidence shows that he's probably taught this sermon or sermons like this many times before and after. So this is just um, part of the recording there. We're going to start with, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I realize I'm already doing this, but do, what do you prefer? Do you prefer blessed or blessed? Because one of them certainly sounds more religious, doesn't it? Like it sounds a little bit more spiritual. When we're in church, we'll say blessed. And when we're out of the church, we'll talk about being blessed. And it's great. It's the same word. And sometimes we just emphasize it in a different way. Blessed, 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 blessed. I don't know which one you prefer. I'm going to find myself accidentally falling into both of them. So I wanted to make sure there's not, you're not thinking, like there's something in the Greek that's different about these words. It's the same word, all right? Blessed, or blessed. So, who's blessed? Well, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and what would that blessing 
look like? What will, what will be for you? And Jesus said, for you will be filled. But when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And yet, so many homes that we're in and that are around us are not filled with that which matters most. But they are filled. And they are filled with searching. They're searched for striving, for anything that would bring meaning. Why is that? Why is it that that's where we stop? Because we spend so much of our time filling our lives with things that don't matter. And we're not blessed or blessed to the full measure that God intended because we're out of tune. Um, we're out of focus. We're, we're not sinking clearly. We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're, we're not terribly interested in right living for right thinking or for right being. That right connection, that right alignment with God is not something that is paramount in our minds. And so what we're trying to say to God, you've got to listen to this part because I'm telling you this is what I know I have said. See if you have said the same thing in your head without these same words. What, God, is the minimum requirement in terms of connection that I can get away with where you will still do everything that I want you to do for me? How much sin, how close to sin, how much distraction, how much dysfunction, how much disrespect, how much selfishness can I continue to indulge in while meeting your minimum requirements? I don't actually care to do the right thing in the right way, but I will do it. Well, some of it. As long as I can get you to give me what I want. You ever hear yourself saying something like that? You don't flesh it out quite that way. But I'm just trying to say that's what I know that I have said to God. Jesus is telling us that the secret to life is that we would live to please God. We do it by, by faith, by the way that we live, and by the way that we live in faith, that's expressing our faith. It gives opportunity for our faith to grow and to develop, and that path is the path to blessing, to closer connection with God himself. See, the blessing is not about stuff. It's not about getting stuff. It's about connecting with God in a better and better relationship. Jesus is the goal, and he's an infinitely better goal than stuff. So here's a question that I want to ask all of you for application. And I want you to dare to be really, really honest. And you can be really, really honest because you can keep it all in your head. So no one will actually know what you're thinking. And that gives you full freedom to tell yourself the truth. The problem is we are, we are schooled in not answering the question. So watch yourself. As I ask, will you actually answer the question honestly? Or will you divert and say, nah, not for right now? Your choice. In your home, what are you hungering for? In your life, in your dorm, with your friends, what are you pursuing? What matters to you? So let's make it easy. You don't have to think about your whole life because you'll pick out your highlight reel. Let's just pick out the last seven days. In the last seven days, what were you characterized as pursuing? What were you hungering for 
in the last seven days. And I know that if we're honest, we could say stuff like, well, the truth is it's the summer and I'm just trying to relax. There's nothing wrong with that. Or we're just trying to have a good time. We, we want to work hard for the week so that we can do whatever we want on the weekend. We just want to have fun, to chill, to, un, to unwind, just to do some good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. Just be honest about what you're pursuing. So some would say, well, when we could define it down, they wouldn't actually say these words, but it works out to be the same thing. We're, we're hungering for popularity. We want to be liked and we are fully involved in the business of image management. Look at our family from the outside. Look at the way we dress. Look at our yard. Look at our home. Look at the cars we drive. Look at the shoes I've got. Look at my new hat. Look at the way that we walk into church. Don't we look just like the happy Christian family? Don't anyone talk about how we were just swearing and yelling in the car just two minutes ago. Or maybe it's sports. And you know, everyone needs to know that your child is the champion underwater synchronized swimming polo player in four and under. He's on the traveling team. So you're going to be the best at that. You're going to be the best at those things that you've said, this is important. Whatever it is for you, what are you hungering and thirsting for? And if you're like the people who are in our culture today, you'd say, over the last seven days, almost exclusively, we would be able to say that we have pursuing, pursued something or some things, many things, above and before God. We were not hungering or thirsting for righteousness. We're not opposed to it, but we're not terribly devoted to it either. And this is not about guilt. This is about an honest evaluation of where we are. And where we are helps us to decide, where do you want to go? Are you going to go where you want to go by what you're doing? Or do you need to make some change? So what do we do when we realize that we are hungering for the wrong things? What do we do when we realize that we have an appetite for things that do not satisfy and are not the best for us? Well, we have to change our appetites. If you start to pursue God and you start seeking God, you're going to see the benefits of walking, being led by the Spirit, being empowered by His presence and indwelt by His Spirit. You're going to begin to long for more of Him and the junk food spirituality of the world, which has distracted you. It wasn't good for you. It never satisfied you. Well, it's going to decrease from being at the top of your spiritual cravings list. And you're going to be developing a new appetite. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what you put in affects what's going to come out. So when you spend your time not pursuing God, and I understand you can't do that every single minute of the day. I'm going to be Godding right now. God, 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 I've got to talk about God. You can't do that every second of the day. But when you have time, where does your mind go? What do you put in it? And when you find that those things are leading you in a direction that you'd rather not go, you have to at some point make a decision to say yes or no. We talked about the idea before of capturing every thought and making it subject to the Lord, Lordship of Jesus Christ. So as I'm living in a pattern and a path, I have to decide what my time will be spent with. Is my time filled with anger? Is it filled with 
um, upset, outrage. We're getting really well trained at being outraged now as a society, aren't we? The smallest thing we can be outraged over. More french fries in that container, outrage. Coffee's too hot, outrage. We should lead people by the way that we are in all circumstances, not when you just get to do the sign of the cross or something before what you're going to do, but in the way that we live at all times, that they would say, why are you living with hope in a world that has no hope? Why do you stand out as different? Because we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Jesus Christ lives with inside us, and his life is shining forth, and those things that bother everyone else, I am not forced to be held under their weight like everyone else is. I don't have to follow earnestly every time Kathleen Wynne speaks. I don't have to know everything that Donald Trump does. And I don't need to comment on everything that he says or does. I will adjust my living by the Lord who is Lord of my life. And by that, I will show all people who I am with and who I am for. And I will find freedom in that. I will speak the truth in kindness and love. And in speaking the truth in kindness and love, I will reveal the positive side of God. I will speak with hope. My eyes will go up and I will tell the people around me, these are things that are possible. Not I bet it's all going to go wrong. It's all going to fall apart. We're lost as if God has no impact in our culture and our future. When you look at the future, put God back in. No matter how dark it looks, it doesn't mean that God can't transform it. Consider the world that we already live in. Do you know how many dark things have already happened in this world? And yet, we're still here. Our God remains supreme regardless of those things. We'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, why doesn't this happen more in our homes? Why don't we default to that kind of a thing? Why don't we see more homes that are blessed? And let me tell you some stuff that I know works and, you know, some stuff that doesn't work as well when it comes to building a home that's centered around Christ. And we're going to start with what doesn't work because I'm really good at finding stuff that doesn't work. Um, so if you're taking notes, here are two things that do not work. The first one, legalistic Christianity. Doesn't work. Second one, Lukewarm Christianity doesn't work. Legalistic Christianity is when we reduce Christianity in our homes, in our culture, <laughs> but we'll focus on our homes today, um, in our homes to a bunch of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, shoulds, shouldn'ts, oughts, ought nots, don't do this, don't do that, you better do this, Christians will always do this, do this, it's a rule. If you're a good Christian, you will always and whatever you do, kids, don't drink, don't chew, don't smoke, and don't run with kids who do. It's the rules. It's not wise, it's just rules. And we know we like rules because rules are easier to deal with. We don't like having to listen to the Spirit prompt us or guide us. We'd like rules, and we'd like to be able to tell other people rules. Not so much ourselves, but other people need to know the rules, and they need to know them. And here's the problem, especially in your home. Write this part down. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever noticed that pastors' kids are known as the wild ones? Have you ever noticed that before? I know it's in other churches. It's not here. You get that, the, the mindset where let's perform, right? 
We're going to church. Let's put on the best image while we get there. If it's only rules without relationship, then it leads to rebellion. It might not today, but it will tomorrow. Legalistic Christianity just doesn't work out. There's no life in it. Second thing that doesn't work, lukewarm Christianity. That's when we believe in God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. We believe in God, but we live like who cares? We believe in God, but I'll still do whatever I want. It's cultural Christianity. It's part of a box that needed to be checked at some point. I'm Christian. It's Christian atheism. I believe in God, but I don't actually believe in enough to change the way that I live. It's Christian by personal definition only. I self-identify as a Christian, but I have no real passion for the things that bring glory to God. Now, now how do we know if you're part of a lukewarm Christian home? And you're worried because like we're scanning the audience right now, identifying lukewarm, lukewarm. I don't know. I don't know what you do in your house. I don't know how you behave. It's not for me to decide whether or not you are lukewarm. This is a relationship that you have with God. But I do have a couple of indicators that if I saw these things going on in my own home or if I was becoming more like this, I could identify that I'm becoming lukewarm. I'm tepid in my faith. If I can't tell you the last time we prayed together as a family, if we never speak of caring for others, if we never pray about the needs around us, if we don't consciously and intentionally talk about where our money goes and how it goes to the church or how it goes to be involved in God's ministry, if if there's only one person in your household that's the DP, designated prayer, if I never ever tell my family what God is doing in me, if I never ask my family what God is doing in them, if we never remind each other that God is at work around us, if we have no time for thankfulness, if being grateful is conditional on everything bouncing our way, if we never ever remind each other of what God has done or is doing around us, if we never discuss helping others or serving or actually giving up time on purpose for other people, if I'm never doing that with my family, well then for me, that's an indicator that I'm becoming lukewarm. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, what do you do? Spew, Spew, spit, barf, right? Get it out. That's what he says that he does. When when you're you're not hot or cold, I just want to spit you out. You're, you're, You're not pleasurable. You're not desirable to be around. It's uncomfortable. It's unhappy. It's, it's a glass of tepid milk. Nobody wants that in their mouth, right? It's nasty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what does work? As a family, don't identify yourself as just a Christian family. Instead, we are a Christ-centered home. Now, you've probably been around this too, but I know a lot of people who would identify themselves as Christian. That's their definition of who they are. And you can call yourself a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're a Christ follower. It doesn't mean that you're actually a little Christ. It doesn't mean that you're actually in pursuit of Jesus. Because the same thing, you can call yourself a duck, and you might be able to quack, but unless you can fly and lay an egg, well, then you're not a duck. You're just a really weird person quacking right? 
And there's a big difference between saying, oh, yeah, 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 we're all Christians. God, oh, God's great. There's a big difference between that and then saying, Jesus isn't a part of my life. He's at the center of our home. Our home is being characterized by being centered around Christ. The biblical authors never wrote down and said, blessed are those who believe in Christ when it's convenient for them. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we don't already, we need to change our appetite. So here are the way that David described this. And he was much more poetic, much more imagery is in there. So absorb some of that. Let that come in. And not just cerebral. Let the feeling of it come in there. From his language in, in Psalm 63, he said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. In a home that can't seem to be content, I have recognized that you are what we need to find contentment. If we're going to make the family version remix, we might say, you, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. We need you, and without you, we don't have what we need. Imagine the silly things that we constantly live for in place of God. Oh, popularity, you are my God. I long for you in a dry and weary land. Sounds wacko. Oh, championship of the eight and under soccer league, you are my God. I long for you. I change my schedule for you willingly. Ridiculous. You, oh, my new car. Oh, my butt longs for your leather seats and your seat warmers. You are my God and I long for you. It makes no sense. And yet that's the way that so many of us live and we wonder at the same time, why do I feel so empty? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. So what do we have to do? Well, you've got to learn to pray it. You've got to learn to say it. You've got to learn to obey it. Oh, God, help my family and me to experience you as loving, approachable, and involved. Take the responsibility for helping your family to see God as loving, approachable, and involved. It's very simple. It's very focused. God loves you. He's approachable. You can go to him for anything and everything at any time that you want. He wants you to approach him with boldness and with confidence. He calls you a son or a daughter. He's involved in all that you do. Whether you asked him to be with you at that time or not. So he's there in your good and he's there in your bad. He's there in your middle. He's there in the bland. He's there in the exciting. He's there already all the time. Choose to acknowledge him in that. Create an environment where your family your kids or your parents want to have discussions about God because it's not something that they have to do. It's something that they want to do. They don't feel like they're supposed to say this sort of stuff. It just becomes something that they want to say. So how do you do it? I don't even know where to start. How do I get doing this? 
I want to try and make this as simple as I can. Here's starting points. This is not the end, okay? This is not the whole path, and this is not all the options. But here are three things that we can do to help to create that hunger and thirst for God. The first thing, uh, we're going to involve God daily in our conversations. So we do this so that we can be weirdos and freak other people out. And by doing that, we get ourselves a little bit more elbow room, right? You get known as the weirdo, you've got more space. And honestly, when you start this, it might feel a little bit weird. It might feel a little bit out of place, but it can be very simple. It's an awareness. It's a mindfulness. You're driving along outside and it's beautiful. You're on the way to work, you're on the way to school, and you just say, God, thanks for what I'm looking at. Thanks for all the beauty that you place around me all the time. God's just simply part of the conversation. In, in, in marriage, you say, oh man, I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? What do you think we should do? Let, 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 let's make a list of the pros and let's make a list of the cons. And Well, what do you think we should do? Instead, before you get to that place, you start by saying, God, how will you lead us forward? What can we do to live out our trust and our obedience? Not just a Christian home. You are a Christ-centered home. Practice recounting God's faithfulness together as a family. Identify what God has done and, is what is, and what he is doing in your lives. You say stuff like, do you remember when? I remember that once we were nervous about this and then God, look at how God has blessed us. Choose to identify things that are good and give credit to God. You've got great friendships. We get to be part of a church that's making a difference around our town. You get to be connected with some pretty great people. Remember what we have done together to take care of each other? And we have a story to help remind you of one of the things that we have done to help take care of people. Hello, Antoine. Uh, Pastor Graham asked me to share something with you, so uh, I'm not great with words, so I typed it out, and here we go. Some of you don't know me, but my wife Jen and I used to be a part of the Into One family when I was in chiropractic school in Toronto. We went through a few tough times during our stay in Toronto, one of which was a major health issue, more specifically a run-in with cancer cells in my colon. Through the journey, Into One was a huge help with prayers, encouragement, and financially, paying for Jen to fly home with me during one of my pre-surgical tests in Calgary. We wanted to share with you an encouragement. So Jen asked me a few days ago if I knew what day it was. It took me a second to remember, and that's totally awesome. It was five years ago to the day since I had surgery to remove my colon. What a blessing the last five years have been. Things I haven't had to think about or deal with in five years. Chronic ulcerative colitis, cancer cells, not being able to go out with friends, not being able to travel, and the chronic feeling of inflammation. Now for the extra good part. Things I have been able to enjoy and experience in the past five years since and because of my surgery. Two nephews and a niece coming into our family, a new home, a new and very successful chiropractic clinic, my two super amazing kids that have stolen my heart, two Disneyland trips with my family with another coming up next month, lots of wonderful new friendships and just enjoying life's journey with my wonderful wife without stresses that my health often caused early on in our marriage. The future is bright, and we are so thankful. 
We hope you find encouragement in our story, we haven't forgotten about you guys, and hope one day sooner than later we can visit. Happy Sunday, and as I'm sure you guys have all heard before, never give up. He's very understated in what happened. Will just about died. And we had some health issues. Yeah, like death is a fairly significant health issue. And they were on the edge. We got to watch that story unfold. We had felt the pain of it being inside us and watching how this young man in every way looking healthy was dying on the inside, being ripped apart by what was going on inside. And then to hear that because they were students, he had to have the surgery in Cal Calgary, surgery that might very well kill him. The odds were, I think it was like 70-30. If, if it works, you're golden. 70% chance you're going to die in surgery or have some sort of horrible um, side effects that will make it worse than you are now. And for that surgery, young wife forced to stay in Toronto because they don't have enough money for her to fly home. We got to be part of that. We didn't find out about it a whole lot in advance, but when we said, hey, would anybody like to be involved in helping for this? The money for that plane ticket came in so fast. I was so proud watching the way people said, absolutely. We love you guys. You go be with your husband. We had so much money left over that we were able to also give them a family um, banquet. As, as the whole family came in to pray for them in Calgary, we got to provide them with a meal because the generosity here was so far beyond what we needed. It was a beautiful story that God worked in our midst and continues to have impact even though he's made the horrible mistake of moving back to Calgary to live and to work when he should have stayed here. Second thing, if you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness is make church a non-negotiable. If you're a Christ-centered home, you know what you do? You make the priority of worship of your God something that is non-negotiable. You take one hour a week to honor the creator and the sustainer of the universe who sent his son Jesus. You come to hear the proclamation of the word because faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. And you say to your family, our default plan is to gather with these people that we are bonding with. These people who are on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ with us are important to us. And it may not be a big deal for me today, but it's part of being a big deal to everyone else. We encourage each other just by being together. And that doesn't mean you can never miss a chance to be at church, all right? We're not crazy people. But it does mean that sometimes you adjust your plans to build in a core value of togetherness. It's not just about you. It's not just about what's convenient for you. It's about an us together. So that's just part of who we are. We are in the fellowship of the believers. We are part of the fellowship of the king. That's a segue, a beautiful transition to say, in September, we're doing a series called Fellowship of the King. And then number three, show how um, serving, seeking God can be fun. It's fun because our God is a God of relationship. He's not a God of rules. And we've confused those things to make it seem like one is offensive. God is such a burden. He's such a weight. It's going to interfere with good times. But he enjoys the connections that come from relationships. He designed relationships and the different levels of connection. On purpose, he made them. 
And there is delight in there. We want to help others enjoy their lives and their relationships and their connection to God. So this is not just about rules. This is just a part of our culture. We seek the kingdom of God first, and after that, everything else comes. Matthew 6.33, that that reminds us that everything else is added after we seek his kingdom first. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Now, the, the way you develop your home culture matters, and you have to decide what do you want. Do you want to be normal, or do you want to be weird? Consider for a moment what is normal in our country today. Divorce is normal. Drug use is normal. Alcohol addiction is normal. Multiple sexual partners is normal. Use of pornography is normal. Debt is normal. Broken relationships are normal. Discord between parents and kids is normal. Valuing things over people is normal. Working too much is normal. How committed to this normal thing are you? Forget normal. Get weird. Weird seems like a way better idea to get in, to get developing in your family. You come back in the fall, and we're going to teach you. We're going to do a series called Weird Like Us. You don't know how to be weird? Fear not. We're going to train you in weirdness. It's coming later. (laughs) You can have what God wants if you will just pursue God, period. That's all that he's asking. And yes, there will be temptations, and yes, there will be distractions, and you will probably need to get into the habit of resetting your culture. You're going to have to learn how to repent together to get back on better footing. You can have what God wants for you to have when you pursue Him and don't settle for excuses. You say, I don't even know how to start. We just made it as simple as we can. Can you show that there's a blessing and it's enjoyable to serve God and His people? Yes, you can. Will you? That's your choice. Can you make being at church and engaging with the people of the church a priority? Yes, you can. Will you? That's your choice. Can you involve God in your conversations? Yes, you can. And I love what Joshua said. It's really simple. When the whole nation of Israel is unsure about what to do, they're setting off into a new pattern, a new pathway, the new land. They were unsure what to do and where to go. He says this in Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourself this day. Whom will you serve? But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Here it is. You choose today. You choose this day. You choose this day who you are going to serve. Are you going to be a Christian family in name only? Blending in with the culture, indistinguishable, except for a couple of hours in a week? Or are you going to be a Christ-centered home, free to live differently? You make the choice this day, because blessed, 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 both of them, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, We pray that your spirit would lovingly convict our hearts 
not to bring guilt, but to bring freedom. We want to live lives of faith, and it's a struggle. We've got to figure out how to do it, and so we're asking that you would help us live lives of faith. We want to trust you in all things. Free us from the bondage of legalism and give us the gift of a spirit-led relationship. Free us from the lies of lukewarmness, be hot or cold. Connect with us that we wouldn't waste our time with make-believe Christianity. It's our desire to follow you and to follow you well with our whole hearts. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Ah, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I believe that as we continue to go forward on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ, that he will continue to draw us more and more together to each other and more and more together with himself. That is our pursuit. That's where we're going. And as you are going to leave today, again, I want to remind you that you're not walking out. You're being sent. You're going on mission. And I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered in our persons and in our homes. That we are spirit-empowered. You don't walk alone. And we are mission-focused. You're not just trying to get through. You've got something to do. And that mission that we are to be on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Take it with you as you go.